Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Draftmas to all of you. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Kent Swanson. This is the AP Draft Show, and it feels real good today because I am looking at all of the beautiful faces of my dear pals. We're all together for what feels like the first time in a month. I don't know if I've seen all of you guys in the same Zoom chat since, like, or just since, like, the Senior Bowl, it feels like. But it's good to see you all. And by the way, I'm talking about my dear pals. Find them on Twitter at Jacob Morley, Jake Stack. Merry draft, miss to you. Good to see your face. Yes, hello. Uh, you know, when that was the tomahawk chop thing, when it was coming through, I don't know why. Have I ever told you guys, told you guys the story of that time uh, my girlfriend almost broke up with me and I almost got in a fight at a bar because a guy screamed the tomahawk chop in my ear. I told him to blank off. That's, was that the end of the story or is there more? Well, that's the story. There's more to the story. I'll tell you guys <laughs> off, off, off air. I'm not a violent person, but... Man, I don't know. That just popped in my head. But other than that, I'm really good, man. And uh, we're done with the guy, baby. Well, three of us are. Matt's still working on it. He's getting there. Speaking of Matt, how you doing, buddy? Well, I'm doing great because I'm holding the final write-ups hostage until we reach our goals because I would love to see my fantastically handsome friends with fun facial hair. So until we reach our goals, I guess the KC Draft Guide will just remain unfinished with five write-ups missing. Why don't I mean, you tell I... people why don't you tell people about the promo then there, Matthew? Well, the promo code is stash. And if you do that, you get it for a discounted price that I am unsure of because I have been nose deep into my write-ups today, Kent. Okay, well, I'll just do it then for you, and then I'll introduce Craig. But if you go to gum.co slash kcdraftguide21 and use the promo code STASH, you can get the KC Draft Guide for $8. It's releasing on April 5th. And if we sell enough this week, Craig has to do a handlebar mustache, and I have to do starburns. I think if we sell 150 guides this week, I'm doing starburns. But unless so. we get to that point, I'm not finishing the final five write-ups for the KC Draft Guide. So, you know, tell your moms, tell your dads, your uncles, your neighbors down the street. Oh, Jake, get back in here. No, I was just going to say, Matt, um, you know, in in ancient times, or not even ancient times, some artists like Picasso would paint a picture and it was so beautiful that the, he didn't want the world to see it. So he just burn it immediately. That's kind of what you're doing with the draft guide right now. And I think the period of time that we're thinking of is the Renaissance. And we're also joined <laughs> by none other than our very own Renaissance man, Craig Stout, who is also in the room with us today. Craig, how are you? 
Man, I'm pretty good now that I got out of Maddie's farm. And <laughs> Matt, I'm, I'm so glad that you got out of your shed. I'm sorry that I had to lock you in there. No, um, this mustache thing is something we did last year. And I think anybody who followed us last year remembered we did a like a live senior bowl kind of watch party thing where we all had our goofy mustaches. I want this to happen so bad because I want Kent to have to wear stars on the sides of his face <laughs> made out of his sideburns. I think that that would be perfect. And I'm willing to give up two months of my facial hair to curate a handlebar mustache just so this can happen. So please, please, please go out there, buy the guide before Friday, rack those numbers up so that we can get there and we can all have this glorious facial hair of Kent's that we get to see. I may even just dye them. Oh, man. I might dye them. Just, you know, just out of respect. I Jake, you were you were giving us a history lesson there, and it really it was like a callback to the first season we ever did this draft show. <laughs> because I feel like our first year when it was just you and me, you would randomly just jump in every now and then with a random history lesson. It's almost like you're a history teacher or something. I really just wanted to call Craig a Renaissance man. That was just a long roundabout way to introduce him as the Renaissance man. So well, this just kind of just shows you your growth as a podcaster, too, because that was probably the best transition that we've had in the last 12 calendar months. It's true. So. It's true. Uh, Jake is coming out of his COVID fog. He's got, he's got the segues <laughs> going strong. <laughs> Only six months later. <laughs> six months later and about 70 write-ups, and I'm coming out of my fog. The brain is on. You know, it's, uh, it's fully functional. The cylinders are firing. This has been a really long month already, but we're almost done with the draft guide and I can't wait for you guys to see it. Very excited. And we're going to talk about some of the prospects that we wrote up in the KC draft guide. We're going to go over some of our favorite like performances of the years, our favorite games uh, that we've watched prospects watch, uh, play in. We're going to do a little thrift store shopping later. We'll talk about that in a second, but let's start with favorite games this season. And I think we got to start with this one. Tevin Jenkins, the tackle out of Oklahoma State, bopping Texas with great consistency. There is a stretch of physical dominance where Tevin Jenkins is literally walking dudes with force angrily out the club uh, <laughs> with with just impressive force. Um, he looks like he looks like an absolute bully at times on the field. Uh, and in this game, especially against a guy, a pass rusher, a light pass rusher like Joseph Osai, uh, Tevin Jenkins certainly got the best of him on several instances. It was a very dominant, a physically dominant performance. And you don't get excited about watching tackles play football very often. But with Tevin Jenkins in this game against Texas, that was exactly what it was, Craig. That this is one of those games over the past three years that we've been doing this. Like, if you're paying attention to draft Twitter, you can tell when people get to certain games of certain players. And this was one of those. Like, all of a sudden, you would see your favorite draft analyst turn on the Tevin Jenkins versus Texas game for the first time and just lose their mind. It's like Akeem Davis Gaither versus Louisiana Lafayette last year. The one that Matt's about to talk about is another one that's like that, where you can just tell when people turn those games on that it was next level dominance and they became their new favorite players. That's what this was. Tevin Jenkins has like a stretch of about four plays in a row where he escorts Joseph Osai completely off the field. 
Like one way or another, he, he either buries him underneath it or he picks him up and carries him off the field and sets him on the bench. It is ridiculous. Now, Osai did get the better of him at the end of that game, but Tevin Jenkins doing that to an NFL caliber edge player was just fun to watch. It was such a fun game. Exactly what this category is made for. Yeah, he's good. But let me remind you that they lost that game at home. They did. Ranked to an unranked Texas team. Jonathan Osai had 12 tackles, three sacks, one force fumble. Joseph Osai? One force fumble and two fumble recoveries. So of the four plays that he bopped him, cool. Jonathan Osai made literally every other single play, including the one. I let you talk, Joseph Osai. Jonathan, who's Jonathan Osai? (laughs) Uh, I don't. Are you thinking Jonathan Massaquai? No, I'm thinking about the guy that ended the game on a sack. I know Matt's going to come in here and try to put qualifiers on why that sack doesn't matter. But here's the deal: he ended the game. That was it. Marble, all the marbles. Play. You got to have it. Tevin, Tevin Jenkins did not block him. That was his responsibility to block him, and he didn't. And he did. And 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 honestly, they they really weren't matched up on each other a lot of the game. And there is a couple plays before that where on that whole last drive, they had a battle. Like, so I don't want to undersell uh, Tev because he's, he's a really good player. I really like him. Um, but three, three play sequence. One is Osai getting under his pads, long arming, long arming him with one right hand, keeping his left hand extended and escorting him back into the quarterback. Next play. Tev puts him on his keister. Absolutely does. Like, pancakes for days and then the last play of the game is the sack to end the the game so if we're going to talk about big tev we have to talk about osai and what he was able to do in that game because when you're in the trenches if you win every single rep you are unbelievable you're aaron donald doesn't do that you lose reps same with offensive linemen but if you can make an impact on the game like osai did in that game he won he won that matchup like i'm sorry he won the matchup they won the game he took his unranked Texas team that are not back, Sam Ellinger. They were bad. And they went in to Oklahoma <laughs> State, and they beat a top 10 team because of him. He was the player of that game. And I'm not just making that up. He was the literal player of that game. He got the game ball. So I just don't know how you can sit here and say that was the most dominant offensive tackle performance. When you just want to talk about value from watching two great prospects play against each other, sure, that's a fun game. But I just don't think Tev won that game. I don't. And I, I know that's – and I, I really don't think that's that much of a split decision. I think I'm in actually the majority of people that watch that game and saying Osai won that game. Um, so I know Matthew is going to get on here now and say, well, it was a three-step drop. You shouldn't have – whatever. I don't care. Do your job. Don't let you don't let the guy across from you get in front of you get get by you and end the game. Sorry. Moving on. Sir, sir this you, is a win. Can't you had your you had your chance. You said So Joseph Osai made exactly one play versus Tevin Jenkins in the whole game. Glad we got that part off. And it was on a three-step drop where the quarterback tucked the ball and then rolled out of a clean pocket instead of throwing it, and Osai chased him down. That was not a clean pocket! Oh my god! Good for Joseph Osai to do that. That was a good play. He had a great stat line in that game. He abused the left tackle. Guess whose name is not Tevin Jenkins? The left tackle. 
It's really fun that he had a great game. Joseph Osai is going to be a first-round pick, which is why it's impressive that in a four-game sh- a four-play stretch, Tevin Jenkins put Joseph Osai into the zone sideline, into the dirt, and into the dirt again, three out of four plays in a row. It was a dominant performance from Tevin Jenkins versus Joseph Osai. It was Joseph Osai, you want to say you want to pick for your best game performance, Joseph Osai versus the left tackle of Oklahoma State? Have at it. I will not argue you that he beat the crap out of the left tackle. Anytime they put Osai on Tevin Jenkins versus the run, it resulted in Tevin Jenkins being thrown out the club or into the dirt. He had like two, three, maybe halfway decent pass rush reps, including the game-winning sack in overtime where he chased a quarterback down who was running away from his three-step drop. That's fine. I'm not saying Tevin Jenkins completely shut him down in pass protection. I tell you what, though, he abused the poor boy in the run block game. In the run game, it was a mismatch. It was an embarrassment for Joseph Osai, who's supposed to be a quality run defender. He got thrown around the field left and right when they matched him up on that side. They would move him across the field to get away from Tevin Jenkins. Tevin Jenkins still went and found him on that play and put him in the dirt, and it had nothing to do with the play, and then he flexed over him. Tevin Jenkins... That was one of the best games out of any offensive tackle versus Joseph Osai because Osai's a good player. And again, you want to say Osai had a good game because of what he did to the left tackle? I will not argue it for a single second. I'm watching uh, I'm watching a Tevin Jenkins. I'm watching the play right now. Uh, this guy, at Jacob Morley on Twitter, has it up. It's a, it's a cut up of that play. So uh, you can find that. And it does just, I mean, I think, Tevin Jenkins thought the ball was gone. He's trying to wash him out, wash him around the arc. That's what it looks like to me. And Joseph Osai made a great effort play on a scrambling quarterback, but that's just my opinion. Uh, Maddie, who you got? Favorite game performance of the year? Oh, I think that. So Kent made me watch this game. It, we were watching Kenneth Gainwell, who is a running back for running back receiver for Memphis. We like, were is he a running back? <laughs> I, I said running back receiver for Memphis, I and know, we man. were watching the 2019. I believe it was the bowl game versus Penn State that year. And uh, it doesn't take long to figure out that Micah Parsons is a really good football player. And it takes just a tiny bit longer to realize that game was unbelievable. That might be one of the single best linebacker games I've ever seen out of a college player. He's fitting the run. He's covering sideline to sideline with his range. He's not the maybe the most technical coverage player, but you see the raw athleticism when he's dropping 10, 12 yards deep into hook zones and he's actually taking guys away. Maybe he doesn't mean to, but the athleticism's allowing him to. Then you get to some of his pass rush reps where he's hitting legitimate chops and rip moves when he's rushing the pass. Like it is hands down the best linebacker game I game I saw this year, maybe of all time, because you just Memphis could not find a way to run the football that didn't have Micah Parsons trying to destroy the running back right at the line of scrimmage. There was nothing he didn't do that game. Just flat out. There was nothing he did not do. Maddie's exactly right. He's some ability to rush the passer, making plays behind the line of scrimmage. The the range that he was displaying sideline to sideline, being able to get depth comfortably. I mean, there was really nothing about that game that was not impressive. It was, I mean, it was a distraction. Like, he was distracting trying to watch that game and trying to watch Kenny Gainwell. Because Maddie's right, we were watching it together. And, like, he was distracting. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. But, like, I, there was, like, a stretch where, I don't know, I probably 10, what, 10 plays, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm watching Kenneth Gainwell right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Micah just moves different than everybody else, and that game is the game that I tell people to watch when I get questions about 
well, who do you want first? You know, Micah Parsons or Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa or Nick Bolton. You know, which one of those guys does linebacker want? It's like, just go watch that game. Like, you watch that one singular game, you see a man that does literally everything that you could ever ask a linebacker to do and do it at a ridiculously elite level. Like, it's just a next-level game, and you can tell the people who haven't watched that Micah Parsons game, like when they're talking about some games, they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't, he just doesn't leap off the screen. It's like, man, go watch Memphis and then get back to me on that. So it, he's just next level awesome in that game. I think that was the last game we saw Micah Parsons in college too. It was, yes. So that he, was his very he, last game. He ended on a ridiculous note. All right, Jake, who's your guy? Well, when this was brought up, it was the question was, who is your favorite game to watch? And I think I just immediately went to who was my favorite player to watch in this class. It's Kyle Pitts. And this is, this is a joke when I say Kyle Pitts versus everyone, but I'm not really joking. Like he, he, <laughs> he was dominant all season long, right? Like you, you turn on any film and you see the same guy every time you watch Kyle Pitts and you just see a guy with freakish athleticism, um, Gumby type body. I mean, the dude is bendy as a pass catcher. And he just ran a 4-4, mid 4-4 today. And that's probably about what he is. You know, maybe 4-5 guy, but doesn't matter. I mean, he just he, he just abused SEC de- defenses all season long. And there really wasn't a game that you can point to and say, well, he didn't get his in that game. So you want to go turn on a Kyle Pitts game and, and enjoy it just for him being that good, do it. Just find one. Turn one on. Um, but a guy that is is a, kind of the opposite. I'm going to stick at the tight end position is someone that um, is very popular in the draft guide as far as uh, my guy, um, and that's Tommy Tremble. And I know I've talked about him before on this very podcast and pretty much any podcast I'll get on because he is just a blast to watch. And the game that I'm talking about is Florida State. And if you want to go look up what his stats were versus Florida State, I got you. Don't worry. He had one catch for six yards. That's it. That's all he did. <laughs> But my God, you watch this guy block and you watch him block in space and he just was snatching souls the whole game. Like by the second quarter, uh, Florida State defenders were were ducking out of blocks because he just was abusing people. And he's just the type of guy that if you like a physical brand of football, he brings it and and he's that type of dude. And I think what's fun about him is a guy that we all really liked a couple of years ago was Trayvon Wesco out of West Virginia, who is now playing fullback for the Jets, and is a pretty good fullback in the NFL. Uh, that's kind of who Tommy Tremble is, except Tommy Tremble is a really good athlete, and I, Trayvon Wesco was not. He just was mean. Tommy Tremble is mean and can move, and I think his best football is in front of him. And if Florida, that Florida State game is in, in any indication, he's going to find a role in the NFL almost immediately on NFL teams. But I think what was so fun about that Florida State game is, yeah, there's the great blocks. He comes around the corner. He eats up some defensive ends. He catches some linebackers, you know, while he's pulling around the horn and plants them on their keister. But you see the athleticism. There's a long touchdown run where he pulls around and there's no one there for him to block. But you see him turn his hips to try to find someone. There's no one there. He then gets out in front and leads the running back 30 yards down the field, just keeping pace in front of the running back while just looking around for someone to block the whole time. There's another play where he runs a little seam route. I believe it's in the red zone and torches a linebacker and the ball should be thrown to him, but you know, he had book things. So the athleticism was on display. 
it wasn't just a blocking clinic. Like he showed why he is going to be a potential receiving threat at the next level. He just didn't get a chance to showcase it because that offense didn't use him a ton. But man, number one, the linebackers, number one for Florida State, tried to go toe-to-toe with Tommy Trimble to start the game. The first quarter and a half, maybe, he was meeting him in the hole. He was meeting him around the edge. That stopped real quick. It all of a sudden became number one was a little late to get to the contact point. Number one was running around Trimble, coming around the corner. Like He put his stamp on that game as an H-back, fullback blocker real fast, and it was just one of the most fun games you're ever going to see from a blocking perspective. All right, Craig, what you got? My guy that I really enjoyed this game was from Elijah Griffin, a cornerback out of USC. He is Warren G's son. Regulators mount up. So Regulators! <laughs> Why did yeah. you not just go all in? Because I don't go all in on this podcast. Elijah Griffin was really, really fun against Arizona State and Frank Darby. He had a vendetta with Arizona State. There was something that happened prior to that game because from snap one, Elijah Griffin decided he was going to talk after every single play in the game. And when I say every single play, I mean from start to finish. There were punches thrown. There was you know, so many blocks that were being finished after the play from Griffin and from the wide receivers. Like, they were guys coming from across the field to try and get after Elijah Griffin. He was in these guys' heads so much because he was just sitting there and he was talking all game long at them and right from Jump Street. They decided, no, we're not having this. And it was a war. Like, it was really fun to watch them stock block. It was really fun to watch him play press against those guys and how physical he was against them. It was just a really fun, intense matchup that he got to play. Not the most, you know, not the prettiest matchup or anything like that by any means. It was just really fun, and your eyes were glued to it the entire game. All right, we're going to take a break, and we will be back with some thrift store shopping right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we just got done talking about some of our per- favorite performances of the year. Now we're kind of do something a little bit different. Call it disc- discount, you know, discount players, thrift store, bargain barrel, whatever you want to call it. We're we're gonna look at players that, you know, maybe are you know a small step down from some of their higher profile players that might go in the top 60, 70 picks that we like. Some good value p- players, if you will. Uh, and I'll start. So. Josh Myers, good football player, big bodied, um, kind of stiff, uh, interior offensive lineman, plays center, you know, you know, real stout, strong. Uh, he's been a you know staple of the interior of the offensive line for the Ohio State Buckeyes for uh, a good little stretch here. You know, there's a guy that you can probably get on day three out of Georgia, out of another major program, Trey Hill, the center. For Georgia, another bigger-bodied guy. Um, I, you know, I think there's some some natural leverage issues that I think he struggles with, similarly to what Josh Myers does. Trey Hill's not quite as tall as Josh Myers, but like I think Josh Myers has some leverage issues at times. Trey Hill, um, I think there's some fixable leverage stuff with issues with him, some natural issues that he's still gonna have to overcome. But I think he's got the build, the strength, uh, similar to to Josh Myers that. You know he'll be able to hold up uh, against power more consistently, play with more consistent leverage. And if you do, you you take some of the fixable things about his game. I think he's a guy that can start for you. I really do. Um, so he's a guy I really like along the interior. Another bigger bodied guy uh, that you could probably. I think you probably get Trey Hill on day three. I wouldn't be surprised if a team looked at some of the fixable issues with him and just said, you know what, I'm going to work with it and we'll, we'll have him ready quicker than you think. Because I do think there are some very fixable things with just na- with leverage, particularly in pad level and popping out and getting out of his stance and stuff like that. There's some fixable stuff there. Yeah, my guy uh, is going to be the discount version of some of our listeners' very favorite player in this draft, Nick Bolton. Nick Bolton is going to go in round one or early round two, and he should. He's a very smart player. He's going to play the mic for some team, and that team is probably going to be very happy with the way that he's playing. He is very high up on our linebacker boards. A guy that will be high up on our linebacker boards, maybe a little higher than some other people, is Derek Barnes out of Purdue. Derek Barnes played defensive end in 2019 and he weighed close to 265 pounds he rushed off the edge he played some sam linebacker and he actually kicked out in the slot at 265 and covered some shallow shallow zones in 2020 he dropped a bunch of weight and he moved to their mike linebacker position and he did it at a pretty high level for Purdue. Like, he looked good dropping into zones. He called the defense. He adjusted fronts. He is a Spagnolo linebacker if there ever was one, except he can run. Like, he was at, he had his pro day earlier today. He he was a very surprising pro day guy. He, he looked really good. He weighs about 238 now. 33-inch arms that he uses to the best of his ability. Got plenty of burst, plenty of speed, 
understands concepts pretty well from the Mike linebacker role, but he hasn't had many reps and he's a little bit stiff. So he's not going to be able to have good change of direction an elite mover or anything like that. He's probably going to go late day two, early day three. I am all in on Derek Barnes as a Sam linebacker next year and then taking over for Anthony Hitchens as the Mike in 2022. Like, I, I'm on board. I think that makes all the sense in the world for a Chiefs pick. Okay. Derek Barnes weighed 238 pounds today at his pro day. And, I mean, he out-tested Nick Bolton in basically every facet. And... I, I get pegged as the Nick Bolton hater. I just don't like the skill set and the where he's eventually going to go because he's a good football player. Derek Barnes is a better coverage player, I think, than Nick Bolton. And I saw him at the Senior Bowl doing some of those drills and being able to cover and hang. And I think the athleticism and you know some of the change of direction ability that is um, a little bit better than, than a Bolton kind of shows up when you're watching him in some of the one-on-ones from the senior bowl. I actually think Nick, I think Derek Barnes actually has a chance to be a better coverage player. Now there's definitely some concerns about his injury history. I actually think Nick Bolton has better instincts in the run game. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a more instinctual player. And that's why you see, you know, the thing with Nick Bolton is like a lot of his plays are like, and I was watching a little bit more this week just because we're having discourse on Twitter about him. But it's like, you know, all of Nick Bolton's plays are linear plays behind the line of scrimmage, quick identification of the play, getting downhill, and making making plays and like if this was 2004 i mean his skill set would translate perfectly but i just think there's something to be desired from him in coverage some of his change of direction ability and i think Derek barnes is a guy that actually shows more capability of being a guy that can cover uh even though (laughs) i mean i don't i'm not hanging my hat on his coverage ability either i think from a coverage perspective which is a pretty valuable asset in the national football league I'm more interested in his ability than than Nick Bolton's right now. So for me, I wanted to focus on the wide receiver position. And there's kind of two guys, I think, that are getting a lot of hype as day two vertical threats. That's Dwayne Eskridge and Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell's been as mocked as high as the first round. I think he's kind of settling in as some bigger draft media people top 50 pick. Dwayne Eskridge has gotten a lot of day two love coming out of the senior bowl or even leading up to it. But for my, I mean, for my money, if I'm drafting that skill set, an undersized wide receiver that's a vertical threat, I'd rather have Jalen Darden out of North Texas. So while I'm calling him the thrift store version because I think he's going to be drafted later, Jalen Darden might be as good, if not better, than Eskridge and Atwell in terms of running a vertical route tree. I think he's a little bit more advanced in his routes. I think he has equally as good as hands, equally as fast as these guys. I just think he understands leverage a little bit better. He sets up his routes better than these guys. So if you can get him at around four versus having to spend a top 50 pick or a top 100 pick on Eskridge or Atwell, not, might only you might not only get the thrift store version that's almost as good, you might very well get a better player in Darden coming out of day three. Yeah, I think for those smaller type receivers too in this class, those slot type guys that have the skill set to be a vertical threat as well. I think you can kind of throw Elijah Moore maybe in that as well. Um, But I think the sentiment remains that if Jalen Darden's there on on day three, he's a guy that is really fun. And I don't think it's going to be talked about enough. Um, He is small, right? Like uh, Tutu Atwell is tiny as well. And the only thing I think, you know, separates Eskridge from those guys is he is a little bit more dense than those, than those two. Um, but you're, you're splitting hairs because he's probably going to end up being a slot anyways, you know, so it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, I, I like I like where you're going, where you're headed with that. And Darden is a guy that 
on day three. I think anyone that's watched him is going to be, um, you know, pounding the table for a guy like that and kind of staying on the receiver uh, track and, and especially like the vertical receiver track. Um, we're talking about guys now that maybe are a little bit bigger, uh, that are bigger vertical threats that you may be able to move around the formation a little bit more, and they maybe are not going to be restricted to just that slot role. Um, and I think we're talking about the best receiver in the draft class in Jamar Chase. And you look at what he did at LSU and his ability to um, win over the top and how he wins over the top. You know, he he's not probably a 4-2, you know, speedster, over-the-top burner type guy. Um, he wins by attacking the football deep. He wins because he's, you know, really adept at stacking um, defenders and just kind of creating that bubble for himself to be able to secure the catch deep. And so I think a guy like him um, that you can go probably to day two is a guy that I've been, you know, pounding the table for for a long time. And uh, Pete Prisco actually came out and called Diami Brown his most underrated player in this year's draft class. I think that's because he's been um, listening to me talk about him. So, He's still in our takes. Um, Clearly. Yeah. And so, but yeah, Diami Brown, I think, wins vertically a lot of the same ways Jamar Chase does. I think he's a bigger um, vertical type threat. Is he the same type of physical, you know, strong athlete that Jamar Chase is? No, I wouldn't say that he is, but I do think that he wins in a lot of uh, similar fashions. And I think he's going to add a lot of the same traits to a team. And a guy that um, I think is a, a, a discount version of Diami Brown is Amir Smith-Marset out of Iowa. And Kent, I think you watched him as well, and I think we have a similar grade on him. And I think you know, I've been calling him discount Diami because I think he is a similar size, similar athletic profile, and he wins in a similar fashion. He just did not have the opportunity to um, really display all of those skills at Iowa. You know, they weren't a really, uh, uh, you know, attack downfield. But when he had those opportunities and when he has the ball in his hands, uh, he doesn't need much to make a big play. And so I think all three of those guys, that's kind of what they all have in common, is not needing much to make a big play, not needing much to be a difference maker. And I like what Jake did here going with the three guys here, going kind of from round one to day two to day three. I think it was a fun way to go about it. I think I haven't watched Smith Marset as closely as Jake has. I just kind of seen him in the peripheral, but I think he's he was used to, he was a little bit more dynamic with the ball in his hands than I think Diami Brown was. But I don't think it's because Diami Brown couldn't. It's just that's not what he was asked to do for North Carolina. He was essentially just thrown on the vertical route plane and just left there. So like I definitely see similar skill set between the two. I do think Smith Marset operated a little bit more out of the slot and got a little bit more help from like the scheme than what Brown did. But like they have similar athletic profiles. Another guy that I'd like to enter and this exact same concept of being bigger bodied kind of vertical receivers. Josh Palmer to me is a perfect Jamar Chase thrift store guy. I think he's a big bodied receiver. He doesn't win because he's the most agile. He doesn't win because he's got the quickest feet, but you put him on the vertical plane, his strength, his explosive first couple steps, allow him to get on top of guys like Patrick Sertan and Eric Stokes and make plays down the field. Diami Brown, similarly, I think he's a little bit more nuanced rather than just raw strength and athleticism, but he's another guy to put in there as well. Okay, so I'm going to jump back in here and get one more because this is what I do. Trey Smith, interior offensive lineman out of Tennessee. Fun player. A lot of people like him. You know, this particular podcast, maybe not as big of a fan of Trey Smith as some others, but you want a thrift store version? 
How about our guy Robert Jones from Middle Tennessee State? Played right tackle at Middle Tennessee State. Probably kicks inside at the NFL level to play where Trey Smith does. But when you see Trey Smith, what you're looking for is this big-bodied, linear, explosive athlete that you want to see him finish as many plays as possible. Robert Jones, very similar concept. He's probably a little bit better finisher right now. Plays a little bit meaner than Trey Smith does. But both guys aren't the best with their lateral agility. Both guys play the best in the phone booth, working in a straight line. But I really think you could get a lot of the same things you get from Trey Smith with Robert Jones. Maybe a little scheme-specific, but you have this guy that has some potential offensive tackle flex in a pinch, better off playing offensive guard, big, strong, upper-bodied guys. And still some of those finishing plays that you're just so excited about. You know, like Trey Smith gets a lot of highlights on Twitter for some of his high-level plays. Robert Jones has some nasty finishes in his own right, too. So let's not, like, completely discredit him either. Uh, All right, that is going to do it for the AP Draft Show. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back on Friday with the AP Laboratory. We'll catch you later. Mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a car full of girls and you need three.